Hello and welcome to The Pulse, where we'll be looking at two major topics this week. In part two, we'll be analysing the complex state of affairs in Ukraine. First though, who would have thought that Hong Kong would be compared with Greece? Yet this week, a government study group announced that our economy could be heading for the same kind of dire straits that faces that unfortunate country's economy. Lang 我們政府收入是否有信心長期地都可以超越20%呢? week, backing up Financial Secretary John Zhang's warnings of impending deficits, experts from a government working group on long-term fiscal planning released a study that claims Hong Kong could start to see a structural deficit within seven years. They project that by 2041, government expenditures will reach close to $3 trillion, and by 2022, the SAR government will need to start spending the more than $900 billion fiscal reserves. The group assumes that as Hong Kong's economy matures, annual gross domestic product growth will stay at the current 3.5% per year until 2021. Gradually, decelerate to 3% a year between 2022 to 2025 and even more to 2.5% up to 2041. By around 2028 to 2029, the reserves will be totally depleted and Hong Kong will have to borrow. A cocoa from, uh, from, uh, from General Public, uh, maybe he can uh, search for me because I'm working with KPNG. Uh, he just started through the general line. And uh, he asked me, um, what your working group is working? Uh, I don't know what's, what you are doing. There's no solution. Just mention about this and that, all the problems. And I explained to him the terms of, of our engagement is we just do the numbers. We just identify the problems. And our terms is not to touch on any policy changes, not to, uh, not to project there will be any pro policy changes and based on the current one to work out um, the, the long-term fiscal position of Hong Kong, whether this is sustainable with regard to the um, foreseeable aging population problem. We all know the problems, right? The elderly, the poor, the health, the housing, the land, education. That's why I said, please, the government have all the figures. Give us the priorities. Which are the priorities you want to solve first? Now, 
In addition, the group cited that they have not taken into account the impact of the chief executive's pledge last year that 200,000 public housing flats will be built in the next decade. This public housing program will speed up the emergence of the structural deficit and the depletion of the fiscal reserves by three years. The group also urged the government to put one-third of its annual fiscal surplus into a new future fund that could support financially needed infrastructure developments, even if the government is running a deficit. Well, with us in the studio is Marcellus Wong of the Hong Kong Institute of Taxation, who was also a member of that working group. Let me ask you first. We've had budgets practically every year with the financial secretary issuing dire warnings of budgetary shortfall, of deficits to come. None of these have proved to be correct. Your report is now making exactly the same kind of warnings. Why should anybody believe you? Now, the, the, uh, the, the message that we, we gave is, is that having regard to the uh, growth of our economy, uh, and also the revenue, the rate of, uh, uh, of the revenue, and also the expenditure, they, they got to be aligned. Otherwise, with the uh, trend of our growth of expenditure, which, which exceeds the uh, revenue, so one day uh, a structural deficit problem uh, will emerge. And the way we do it is we try to be uh, credible. That is, we, we have taken all the available information that we, 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 we believe are best available information, and we don't exaggerate the expenditure pro projections. And we are totally transparent. We put all our data and, and material uh, on, the web, on the government's mm. website so that people can also look at it and, and do their calculation themselves. I mean, is it your view that one of the main solutions to bridge this gap between expenditure and um, uh, revenue is to broaden the tax base? Yes, the, to broaden the tax base is one, the op one of the options to, to help to uh, address this structural deficit problem. And that would primarily be done how? Our, our, our revenue base now is very narrow. I mean, we depend heavily on direct tax, that is income tax. Uh, which fluctuates dramatically with the uh, uh, economy. So if our eco economy goes down, we suffer a lot. So uh, uh, a way to address it, a lot of other countries have it, is to have uh, uh, tax on based on consumption, like a GST, goods and services tax or value-added tax. But but I, I, we, we understand that the, the government tried to introduce this property tax in 2006 but failed because it didn't get the uh, people's consensus. And I think with the structural deficit problem looming, uh, which may hit us in a decade's time, I think it, it, we, is warrant, we, we should revisit this issue. I think one of the things that, that, that mystifies some people is one of the keynote proposals that you make is the development of this future fund but Hong Kong has, on a per capita basis, uh, a higher degree of reserves than practically anywhere else in the world. Why on earth do we need another fund? Because of the aging population, which will uh, uh, affect Hong Kong in the five to six years' time, 2018, our, our population growth will top, will, will, will top and then will we'll, 
the it will decline, and that will affect the uh, economic growth of Hong Kong. In turn, will affect the revenue of uh, government revenue. But on the other hand, the government expenditure on the uh, aging population will increase. So, we but that is to the happen future fund in, won't help in yeah that, that's at all, that will it? only happen in say ten years or in a decade or two decades' time. Now, while we are still in a relatively uh, healthy financial status, we have over 700 billion reserves, although not all the reserves can be used for, uh, there are particular well, arguably purposes. Arguably, we have higher reserves than yeah. that. If on you the, carry on the exchange it in, line, right? Indeed, uh, well, that's part well, of reserves, again, isn't it? Why do you take these sums out as though they don't exist. Yeah, the objective of the of the exchange fund is is to to protect the Hong Kong uh, uh, currency. Mm. So, so so it's still money. And it is still money, but but if we 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 are we are talking about structural issue. That is, mm. it will occur on a on a recurring basis. Mm. So if we have money on on the reserve, which is asset our asset, but if the asset can be used only to delay the problem and do not cure the structural problem. That, 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 is, that is an issue. Well, that's clearly your warning, and thank you very much for that. We're out of time, and we'll be back after the break. Welcome back. The news from Ukraine shifts from day to day. It's hard to underestimate the significance of what's happening there. Those who see politics in less complex terms might believe that it's simply a case of protesters taking on a puppet government and ousting an unpopular president. But there's an alternative view that blames the West for deliberately destabilizing the region and points out that not even all of those protesters are exactly good guys. Some suggest this large and linguistically divided country should simply be partitioned. But is that really a viable solution? It's looking increasingly possible that tensions between different elements in Ukraine could lead to the country splitting apart. This week, Crimea's parliament voted to join Russia its Moscow-backed government is arranging a referendum on its future on the 16th of March. Russia is apparently strengthening its military presence after taking over the Crimean Peninsula. Meanwhile, the United States of America is ramping up its military presence President in the Baltics. Clear. Over the past months, what started as localized protests in Kiev have developed into widespread opposition to the Russia-backed presidency of Viktor Yanukovych. It began in November, when Yanukovych refused to sign a deal for closer ties with the European community, choosing to side with Russia. With a more rigid government clampdown, the momentum grew. More people took to the streets. At least 88 people were killed. Yanukovych fled to Russia for refuge. Shortly after, Ukraine's parliament voted to remove him from power and formed an interim government. Some put the initial unrest down to United States and European community meddling, 
Others say Russia is the aggressor. EU and US leaders are warning of sanctions against Russia over its military intervention. But they're trying to strike a delicate balance. Uh, there is the ability for Ukraine to be a friend of the West and uh, a friend of Russia. Others are concerned that more aggressive far-right organizations led many of the protests in Kiev and are riding the groundswell of anti-Russian feeling. The Svoboda party is seen as fascist and extreme. Pravi Sektor, a paramilitary group formed by a coalition of right-wing radicals, advocates a nationalist revolution and rejects any foreign influence over the country. Well, with us in the studio are Jackie Fong, researcher at the Global Studies Institute in Hong Kong, and Dr. Stefan Auer of Hong Kong University. Stefan Auer, can I come to you first? Um, the situation is really very complex in Ukraine, although it's often painted simplistically. Can you just help us through who are the main elements here and what do they want? Well, there are a couple of dividing lines. I mean, the usual story we get in the Western media is that it's the dividing line between Western Ukraine and Eastern Ukraine that also coincides with the linguistic division between Ukrainians who speak Ukrainian and Russian speakers. It is more complicated because uh, there are many Russian speakers in, in uh, Western Ukraine who would be supportive of the new government because they feel more strongly affiliated with European values. So it's also not just about geopolitics, uh, particularly not for the new uh, representatives in, in, in uh, Ukraine and for the demonstrators. It is about creating a society that lives up uh, to West European uh, values, to you know, the rule of law uh, and, and liberal democracy. While the elites, uh, say, that have now uh, uh, come to dominate Crimea are not only predominantly Russian-speaking, but are also more favorable uh, favorably disposed towards kind of Putin's style government that's more authoritarian. And I think it's also true to say, is it not, that the, that the, the new government and its backers and the opposition to the old regime is pretty divided itself, is it not? Well, there are elements there that are not necessarily uh, friendly even towards the idea of European integration, if you think of the extreme right uh, nationalist elements. But I wouldn't want to overstate their influence, because this is uh, uh, part of Putin's propaganda, to dismiss the entire government as uh, fascist, uh, illegitimate uh, government. That's their story, and I don't think it accurately represents the composition of the uh, new forces. And what do you sense, I know this is very early days, but what do you sense is really uh, Putin's game plan here? We know that Putin thinks in geopolitical terms. We know that he considers the demise of the Soviet Union the biggest catastrophe in, in uh, Russian-Soviet history. So we know what his ambitions are. Mm -hmm. uh, one would just hope that he would be more pragmatic 
uh, when confronting with this opposition of the West. But mind you, the opposition of the West is rather limited at this stage. Let's just talk about the, the response from East, from our back, yeah. back door, which is, is China. I mean, this is actually quite complicated, isn't it? China, yeah. on the one hand, seems to have joined those who've protested at the actions of, of the Russians, but not really. Uh, you can see that in China, there's a split of comments, and also there's a changes of comments since time. Uh, before the re referendum of uh, Camellia that have been proposed, you know that separatism is not a favor of the tea of uh, China, so that they won't support separatism. This is the announcement last week that Crimea yeah. would hold a referendum as to whether it goes into to Russia. Russia or mm. independent yeah. or something else. But you can say before that referendum that China have conducted a survey by his NGO, maybe or think tank, uh, one of the military general called Wang Haiyun uh, in China, uh, doing the general survey. But you know that the survey may not be so true and more scientific. It is a kind of a one-side comment from uh, the government. And those polling have the result that the general public in Beijing have supported the military action of Russia in Ukraine. So the, it may be a signal that uh, the China government and also the China military staff would like to support uh, Russian action. Maybe after but, but the referendum. I mean, but the, the, the general tendency of Chinese policy is not to encourage separatism, I would have thought. Yes, it would. But as you know that China and Russia will be a partner in the UN, so that before the separatism happened, they will not support of the Western ideologies uh, which will happen uh, mastering with the uh, Ukraine. So that you can see that uh, before the referendum, before the separatists, China have different opposition or different comments in this Ukraine problem. So that comments changed. Stefanara, can I just come back to you? I mean, we're, we're talking about China now, but I just wonder in general how much you think that Putin and his government are uh, paying attention to views from overseas, how vulnerable they are to all these maneuverings that are going on at the moment. To be honest, when, when the crisis started, I yeah. felt that the West can do very little to constrain uh, Putin. But I'm changing my opinion because what we are observing is also a propaganda war of kind, right? And there the West could constrain uh, Putin. Putin is supported by a vast majority of Russians uh, at home, whether we like it or not. And, and a step in that goes badly wrong could backfire uh, for him. You know, if he presents himself as saving uh, Ukrainians as uh, Slavic brothers of, of, of Russia, and he is then forced to resort to means that uh, will be obviously damaging to, to Ukrainians, then it might damage his popularity at home. If the sanctions that the US and increasingly Europeans also are proposing hit uh, uh, Russians, again, that might make him uh, somewhat uh, vulnerable. So the West is not entirely powerless. But if I can go back to that idea of uh, a referendum, uh, I mean, it's even worse than, than uh, what, you, uh, what you just suggested, because I, in my understanding, what they proposed is two options, and both are about uh, going back to Russia. It's just yeah. about modalities <laughs> of going back to Russia. Yeah. And we talked briefly about the complicated ethnic and linguistic composition of, of Ukraine as a whole. 
Crimea is predominantly Russian-speaking and perhaps pro-Russian in sentiment, but also has a significant Tatar population. And so for Russians now to say that Crimea has always been uh, Russian, that can only work if you ignore that part of the story. And for them to say that it now needs to be a part of Russia, because that might be the legitimate uh, mm. desire of a vast majority, ignores, of course, the desire of those uh, mm. minorities such as, such as Tatars who would be certainly opposed to it. Uh, yet another complicating factor. I'm sorry, th this is a big subject. We have not much time, but thank you both very much indeed. And I'm afraid that's all we have time for this week. We'll see you at the same time next week. Until then, goodbye. Поставим кінець, я за куть свободи всіх, хто зі мною молодець, хто візьме хабаря, в космос полетить, в нас корупції не буде, тут таким нема де жить, суботекс, алкоголь.